carry in every aspect of our lives. God, that would not be pleasing to your will and your sight. Let us be more like you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. May be seated today. It's the Lord. Started talking last Sunday about this new a new order. I want to uh, go there again today and talk a little more about that. It's a new order, a new order that is to come. I want to look today, first of all, in First Corinthians chapter two. I mean, excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter two. Right in a minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse number 3. Though we walk by faith, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Amen? Casting down imaginations. The root word here is image. And we have been talking about this image. The knowledge of God, bringing everything under captivity that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. The Bible says that we cast these down and we live in an image-conscious society. Uh, people will go to great lengths to have the right image. I'm not just talking about in the natural, though, but also in the spirit. 
there are many things that uh, we uh, go to great lengths in, even in spiritual things, to make it look like that uh, what we are projecting, what we want it to look like. But if you see yourself today, not only in the natural or in the spirit, but in the natural, when you look at it not only corporately, but you look at it individually, it doesn't matter uh, what it is that you think. When you think a thing, you ha- begin to create an image of that thing. So whatever it is that you begin to think that you are, then that is what you will become. Amen. You see, uh, the, 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 when we look at this, we understand that if you think you are defeated, you will never be successful. If you think that you are victorious, you will never become defeated. Why? Because that is what you believe in your heart. Amen. And so no one can defeat you if you believe that you are victorious. No devil, no principality, no person, no thing. You will be victorious because you have believed it in your heart. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Amen. And so the great thing about imagination is this, is you can be in the middle of the greatest problem of your life and begin to imagine what it is going to be like on the other side of this difficulty. You can imagine what it is like without this trouble, this difficulty, or this circumstance looming or hanging over your life. And so in Daniel chapter 1, we read uh, there a little bit last week, so we won't go real deep. But if you were not here, we talked in Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. And he says there, and the king spake uh, to the master of the eunuchs that he should bring a certain of the children of Israel and the, the king and of the king's seed and of the princes and the children of whom was no blemish, but well Favored in verse four and skillful in wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding and science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chanladines. In verse five, and the king appointed to them daily provision of the king's meat. We said last week that meat represents doctrine, right? It's the doctrine. He said, when you bring your tithe into the storehouse, there will be meat in my house. So it is doctrine that he is talking about. And then he said, give him the wine, which he drinks, which is the spirit of the day. The nur- and so it nourished them for three years. In other words, he said, give them the king's meat, give them what we believe and give them the spirit of the age and do this for three years. What if we had people commit themselves to three years of discipleship in the word of God. Just what if? The king took the talented and he tried to feed them this doctrine and put them under a spirit of the age. But we look and we see who they were. Uh, I won't read all of that for the sake of time, but we know their names more as to what the king of Babylon named them than we do their literal, the, right, the real names. But it is that of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so he took these and he began to feed them his doctrine, his thought, his theories, 
what he believed and then give them the spirit of the day. And then he says that they are to come back and, to, and he says, we don't want to do that and we'll prove ourselves in 10 days. And they came back 10 days later and they were more healthy than all of the others, right? They looked sharper. They were better. They was more uh, mentally uh, prepared and ready from the diet that they decided to stay with instead of the king's meat. And so the Bible says in uh, Daniel chapter 3 in verse 1, now uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubics and um, therefore six, uh, the breadth six cubics and he set it up in the plain of Dara and the providence of Babylon. You see, an image always has to be set up. It's set up in your mind. In verse 2, he said, Nebuchadnezzar, the king sent together, together, the princes and the governors and all the counselors and all the leaders. And in verse uh, three, he continues uh, talking about the governors and all of the leadership. And he dedicates an image of Nebuchadnezzar, the king had set up and they stood before the image and Nebuchadnezzar had set up. We know that the three Hebrew boys refused to bow down to this image, right? They would not bow. They would not. They said, in other words, if we're looking at it from a spiritual standpoint, they said, we know that you've tried to feed us your doctrine. We know that you've tried to get us drunk on the spirit of the age, but said, we're not having it and we're not going to bow down and worship any other God. Amen. And then they said, well, we're going to put them into the fire. You don't want to bow. You don't want our doctrine. You don't want our wine. You don't want the spirit of the age. Then we'll put you into the fire. And so in verse 25, he, he, the, they put him into the fire. And the, and the king looks in there and says, did we not loose three men, loose and walking around him there? And he said, there's a fourth man there, and he is likened unto the son of God. So we see that they refused this doctrine. They refused to get drunk on the spirit of the age. They did the right thing and got thrown in the fire. I want to submit to you today, you can do the right thing and things not work out right. You can do the right thing and still not get the job. You can do the right thing and still not get the loan. You can do the right thing. Are you hearing me? And people still look at you like you're the bad person. Amen. That's what happened here. The Hebrew boys did the right thing, but they still got thrown into the fire. Amen. But I want to say to you today that you don't meet Jesus until you get into the fire. You've got to go into the fire before you will meet him. Amen. Watch this in verse 29 of chapter 3. <coughs> it says... Therefore, I make a decree that every every people, nation, and tongue which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut into pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. What just happened? <laughs> Amen. What just happened? We see the king trying to put up his own image right get something to worship God get something to take their mind off of rename them so that they're not connected to their God 
give them a, a study diet of doctrine and the spirit of the age, and yet it still did not work, right? And suddenly there was a flip-flop. Whenever something isn't real, it's easy to flip-flop. When there's something that's not true that you really don't believe in, it's easy to give up on it. And Nebuchadnezzar immediately flipped and he said, wait a minute, there there is no other God that is able to do what I just witnessed. There is no other God that is able to do what I just seen happen with my own eyes. Can I tell you that the spirit of the age is wanting to get us drunk and is wanting to hear the doctrine of this world. But I'm telling you that there is a new order coming that people are going to see with their eyes the God of our salvation that is going to do the miraculous and the supernatural and signs and wonders and when they do they will know there is no other God amen you believe it give him praise here today (laughs) you see it takes people that follow God and not just believe in God we talked much about that last week so I'll try not to I've got a whole lot of stuff here and But I'll try not to reiterate too much today. But we are a nation of believers and not followers. Everyone believes, but very few disciples. Amen? You may say, well, what's the difference between the believer and the follower? Well, I think I told you last week, but the believer believes in God, believes in the word, believes in all of this, but does not apply it to their life. Amen. In fact, the Bible says that that the devil believes and trembles, right? But he's not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there is a difference. Our nation believes, but it's in, in our in our culture today, our churches are filled with people that believe but do not follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the result of uh As a result of that, we have found ourselves in a culture where church is not a priority. Church is not a priority. Uh, It it, is no longer important that you be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Why is that? Because what is... What is condoned by one generation will become embraced by the next generation. Man, you remember whenever I told you this is my story? We went to church four days a week and then we came into a generation where that we, we quit, we gave up things. You know, the church used to own Sunday. Amen. That you know I read this the other day because last Sunday was the, the Super Bowl and, 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 uh, and um, the, um, who are those people? The Patriots. They lost. I just thought I'd put that out there. They lost. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but do you know I was reading an article on that and they said whenever they first came out with the Super Bowl, they were so concerned about having the Super Bowl on Sunday because most of the people that watched the Super Bowl went to church. And they was concerned because if they have the Super Bowl on Sunday, they would not have many people watching it. 
But it said in that article, now we no longer have to worry about it because they, they've embraced it and they accept it. And I won't go into all of it, but in other words, they said, we don't have to worry about the church anymore. They've embraced our way. We have changed them. Amen. Super Bowl isn't a bad thing, right? Watching it isn't a bad thing. I remember, I told you, I think when I was telling you this is my story, I remember I had to wait up to 11 o'clock to find out who won the Super Bowl. And that was back in the day whenever, um, you know, uh, I hate to even mention their names, but something about Pittsburgh. And then there was this great team of Dallas, and uh, I'd always have to wait up till 11 o'clock news to find out who won the Super Bowl. It's quiet up in here. (laughs) Amen. I'm just saying, that's the way it used to be. Amen. There's nothing wrong with the Super Bowl, right? Y'all act like, well, where's he going? He may be trying. This ain't a trick. I'm just talking. Amen. There's nothing wrong with it. But the fact that we have given away Sunday, we've given away Wednesday, we've given away, you can't, you might as well forget thinking about having a prayer service. (laughs) Amen. That just ain't going to happen. What am I saying? I'm saying we're giving up everything. And we're getting drunk on the culture of the day. But God has never called us to be a weak church. He has not called us to be a church that merely believes. But he has called us to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And a community of faith. Not just people of faith, but a community of faith. And God entrusted to this church stewardship to rule over the earth. Jesus did not see his church as weak and anemic and dysfunctional. But he seen his church that not even the gates of hell would be able to prevail against his church. Amen. God has not entrusted us not to speak about him, but for him. We're not just merely here to talk about God. We're here to speak on his behalf. Amen. We're here to declare the kingdom of God has come unto you. Amen. This power is only given to disciples. It is not given to believers. It is given to followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we must understand that if we are going to walk in the power, if we're going to walk in the gifts, if we're going to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, then we must understand that we cannot merely believe, but we have to follow Him wholeheartedly and submit ourselves as we've sung here this morning, I give myself away so you can use me. Amen. We have to be willing to be used by him. But once he uses us not to complain about being used. God has entrusted his ability to release the power of God and to stop the enemy. And he has given it into our hands that we will have the power of God. Amen. 
And so we need to understand today that each and every one that is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ is filled with the power of God. Amen. A disciple is one that is disciplined in God's word. Disciplined in God's word. As a result of us not being a, 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 a nation of followers, we, we don't prevail against the gates of hell. We're not loosing the spirit of God upon the earth. And we're not changing the image of our society has placed upon the church or God's people. So there are people that believe who stop the heartbeat of a child in a mother's womb and call it abortion. Because people believe but are doing evil continually. We see that they're eating the doctrine of the day and are drinking the spirit of the age. And God has come, uh, come with some people to bring, make us understand that we cannot drink the spirit of the age and eat its doctrine and think that it's okay. Because we are not a subculture. We are a counterculture. We stand against the culture that is and say this is the culture that shall be and even though it may be a cultural shock amen it is the kingdom of God it is the word of God it is the power of God and we must not ever embrace the kingdom of this world we must embrace the kingdom of our God amen (coughs) I believe Jesus saw a praying church I believe he saw a thinking church, a doing church, huh? One that would do. And if the church is praying, the church is thinking and the church is doing, amen, then we will see the word of God and the kingdom of God established in our lives. I believe it has we, the reason that we have seen this spirit of the age that it's all right to believe but not to follow is Who's in control of the image of the church? The Bible says that many believe. But the prince of the power of the air has blinded them else they see and believe and would be saved. Right? In other words, he's saying people are hungry for the supernatural. People are hungry, amen, for answers. They're looking for answers. But very few people refuse prayer. Have you, if you ever walk up to somebody and ask them, do you, would, is it okay for me to pray for you? Very few people refuse for you to pray for them. Amen. But the church has received an image of Nebuchadnezzar has tried to impose upon it that we believe the lie that no one wants to be saved. I've even heard preachers say nobody wants to be saved anymore. Huh? No, it isn't that nobody wants to be saved. The reality of it is, is their eyes are blinded. Because, why? Because they cannot see the truth. People want to be saved, but they're blinded by the culture, by the image, amen, that has been placed upon the church. And you can win someone from the world when you feel you cannot win someone from the world when you are filled with insecurity in your faith. 
When you do not believe in the image that you're portraying, when you do not believe in the kingdom of the gospel of the kingdom, it's hard for you to win somebody else to that kingdom. Amen. Most of us can tell you the songs that we sing, what time the service starts. Amen. But we, we don't have, we don't have enough strength in us spiritually to go out and tell somebody else the good news about Jesus Christ. We work beside of them every day and never, they never know that we are a Christian. We go to school with them every day and never tell them about Jesus Christ. Huh? We leave this place and we go throughout this region and this community and we're never a light in a dark place because we're inferior about our faith. We're insecure. And that's the image that's been put upon the church. That we're a bunch of weak people. Old ladies and weak men go to church. That's what the church is for. Huh? That's right. That's the image. But I want to tell you that you have to be a strong man. You have to be a strong woman. To be in the kingdom of God and to prevail against the spirit of darkness. Amen. But you see, the people have have got this mindset that church folk are lazy. They've got this mindset that the church can't pay you back. They're broke. Whenever I was building a church in in another place where we, we pastored, White Sulphur Springs, they didn't, no, no bank wanted to give me any money. No bank. No bank in that area, that region. No, none of them. They said, number one, said, preacher, the building is too big. And no, if, we, if you don't pay for that building, then nobody else in this area is going to want that building. That building's too big. And number two, we don't know that you have the resources to pay it back. And uh, I showed them on paper that I did, but what the reality of it was is they didn't want to give it to a church. Amen. But that building was built just like God told me to build that building. And that building is not just filled one time now. That building, because of great leadership that is there, is is, is filled three times every Sunday morning. Amen. You see, but the spirit of the age, the image of the day wants us to think that we are incapable and insufficient, right? But I want to tell you today that God wants his church to be strong and powerful. He wants, if the people are looking for employees, they ought to come to the church to look for them, right? We ought to be a, a standard above all the rest. We ought to be like Harvard and Yale. We are so far, our standard is so much higher that we don't even have a scale. That but people know when they come to the household of faith and they get people that are saved and a part of the kingdom of God, that they are people that you can trust with your money. You can trust them with your job. You can trust them with your work and they'll do it better than anybody else. Amen. But many times that's not the case. Amen. You can have believe people that believe and they'll steal money from you. 
They believe, but they're lazy. Amen. We say promotion comes from the Lord, and it does. But he uses people. I promise you one thing. There ain't nobody in here today ever got a paycheck signed by Jehovah Jireh. Amen. Quiet in here today. I don't know why. I'm having fun. Amen. The enemy knew that if he could get in the minds of our nation and create an image of the church and people in the church that he could control people that come to the house of faith. Amen. The spirit of the age will try to create an image about the church that it is something that it's not. They want to create an image of preachers that all they are, they're either two of one things. They're either uh, a dumb somebody, failed Boy Scout, riding a bicycle all over town and just can't get no help. That's one image, right? Y'all can nod your heads. You at least act Presbyterian if you ain't going to act Pentecostal. (laughs) It's all right. You know, just broke down, busted and disgusted, can't get no help. And that's the that's the image of the preacher. Or on the other side of the pendulum, if they're successful, then you're a crook. Man. That preacher over there, all he, all he wants is your money. I've been called a devil. I've been, it's words got back to me, all I want is their money. I'm bad. Amen. Look, you ain't got enough money for my dream. (laughs) You don't have enough money for my vision. It ain't about money. It's about the kingdom of God. Amen. The reality of it is this, is you got to understand the devil wants to put up an image of who you are and the church, but God has a plan for the church. Let's be real. We know the problem. The problem is people believe, but they don't, and, but they, the prince of the power of the air has made this society, this culture, it is unacceptable to be a part of a church that is spirit-filled, tongue-talking, fire-baptized, and anointed for breakthrough. That's, that's especially in this region, in this valley. Especially in this valley. We got a real spirit of religion in this valley. And it's all right as long as you get saved, but don't go any further. But you start talking about deliverance, you start talking about the power of the Holy Ghost, you start talking about the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden you are, you are a devil. Amen. Whenever you get exuberant worship, oh my God, that's terrible. You shouldn't be excited about Jesus, the one that saved your soul. 
You shouldn't be excited about the one that went and died on a cross of Calvary, rose on the third day, got up so that you could have life and have it more abundantly. No, no, you should just sit there and be quiet like you're at a, you're like you're at a library somewhere. Huh? But it's all right for you to holler at your football team, your basketball team, your, your soccer team, whatever it is. It's all right to get excited over there. Amen. But Jesus said this. He said, I'm going to come and I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. Amen. Jesus comes to check on his church and he says that I am going to build my church. Now, this is what I want us to see here this morning. That was my introduction. <coughs> to Get us to where we needed to be today. Now I'm going to preach a little bit to you. Is that all right? Right. Anybody need medicine? <laughs> Be a good time to take it. Hallelujah. Y'all ain't laughing at nothing today. The rain got you down? Amen. <laughs> That's all right. This, this is where Jesus comes and he says, I'm going to go check on my father's church. And in Matthew chapter 21, we read that he comes into the city and in verse number 12 it says then Jesus went into the temple of God and now those who and so sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and seats of those who sold doves and he said to them it is written my house should be called a house of prayer but you have made it a den of thieves verse 14 then everyone say then Then the blind and the lame came to him and the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes and and saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna, the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, Yes, have you not read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. Amen. So here we see, um, as I'm painting this picture for you, if you can, I hope that I'm painting it clear. There is this image on one side that says this is what the church is. It is the doctrine of the age. It is the spirit of the day. It is what uh, our, the, our society, the culture wants you to believe. Jesus comes in and he says, I'm going to check on the father's church. And he says this, he says that in verse 21, that he goes to the city and before Jesus can stop at the temple, he, uh, before he can go and make things right at city hall, before he can make things right up at the courthouse, before he can make things right at the Capitol, before he can make things right at the, at the, uh, the World Trade Center, before he can make things right at the White House, he has to stop at his house. Because you see, he's not going to fix the White House and bypass his house. Amen. And so he goes to Jerusalem and he stops at the temple. And before he deals with the city, before he deals with the crowd, before he deals with the the culture of the day, before he deals with the government of the day, he deals with his dysfunctional church. And he says, make sure that there is order in my house. Make sure there is order in the church. 
And this is, we see that this is the pattern of Jesus. When Jesus is ministry, he would never deal with the uh, symptoms without dealing with the root. You remember when he was, he was an, encouraged by a, fa- a, a little 12-year-old girl. His, her, her father comes to Jesus to get him and says, My daughter of 12 years old is sick and dying, right? You with me? And sick and dying. And so Jesus starts to his house to heal his little 12-year-old girl of a spirit of death that has come upon her. But while he is on his way, a woman that has been sick for 12 years of an infirmity, she was bleeding to death for 12 years. And Jesus takes time knowing that one generation or a 12-year-old girl was dying. He stops to take care of an older woman who has now been sick for 12 years and is bleeding to death. Amen. Follow with me. And he stops and he heals this old woman that is bleeding to death before he goes to the next generation to raise them from the dead. Why is that? Because if you see, the old woman speaks of the church. The old woman speaks of that that is founded, is established, but yet it is bleeding to death. It is dying. And he, Jesus says, I refuse to go resurrect a dead gener, a dying generation, a 12 year old girl and bring her back into a system that is bleeding to death so she can die again. Amen. I want to tell you today that Jesus is always about getting to the root of the problem. And so he says, I've got to heal this bleeding in the church before I can add to the church. Hallelujah. Jesus is interested in having a healthy church. He is interested in having a new order. Hallelujah. Amen. And so here he is, and this is his pattern. He always heals the root. (coughs) So he goes to his church, suggesting that if the church is not whole, then the city cannot be whole. If the church is not whole, then the family cannot be whole. The man in our Wednesday night group, talked about this on Wednesday night that if the man is not in the place with God that he needs to be then the family won't be in the place that they need to be if the family's not in the place they need to be then the community will not be in the place that it needs to be if the community's not in the place it needs to be then the city will not be if the city is not then the the state will not if the state is not then the nation will not right and it all comes back to his church and relationship with God Amen. We are quick to blame the White House. We're quick to blame government. And we know we have problems. Huh? We know we have problems. But the Bible says judgment must begin at the house of God. Before we point our finger to the White House, let us look in our house. And say, it's not my brother nor my sister, but it's me, oh God, that stands in the need. Of relationship shift a new order in my life because I cannot go and bring others to Christ without first looking at me right so Jesus comes into the city he goes to the church and he overturns the tables 
This is not just a, this is not just a, a, a Jesus that goes in and says, well, you know what? We don't want to lose nobody. We don't want to offend anybody. But that what you're doing at those tables, it's just, you, you shouldn't be doing that now. No, no, no. That ain't what he did. This is a hostile takeover. This isn't something that he says, well, I think I need to, I need to shift this over here. I need to change that over. No, no. This is a hostile takeover. He comes in and he takes his church back. He overturns the tables. He did not turn the tables. If he only turned the tables, it would suggest that he's still doing the same thing, just a different way. But he said, I'm going to turn these tables over the way you're doing things. Why? Why the tables? Why is it so important? Because if the tables is where they did business, the tables is where they sat down and they strategized and they got thoughts and they got plans and they got the order. And Jesus comes in and he turns these tables over and says, you're not doing it this way anymore. This is not the order. This is not the plan of God. This is not what his church is all about. Amen. And I'm concerned today that we've got a lot of stuff. We got a lot of tables that needs turned over. We got a lot of things in, in that's called the church that is not operating in the kingdom culture, in the kingdom mindset. Amen. And we've got, and Jesus is coming to his church again. Make no mistake about it. He's coming to his church again and he's going to overturn the tables. He's going to overturn the government. He's going to overturn all this religious system that we have man-made ideas and all of our man-made agendas and plans. And can I say even man-made doctrine and theology that we've been eating and digesting. And he's about to come in with a power and with authority and he's going to turn the tables over over again and he's going to call his church back to what it's always supposed to be and that is a house of prayer he didn't just merely turn the tables it would suggest if he turned the tables we're eating the same junk just in a different position if he just turned the tables the same people of authority are sitting at the tables but the Bible said he overturned their chairs. Those who were sitting in authority, he overturned them. Amen. And he came in with a hostile spirit. Wouldn't you like Jesus to be your pastor? Amen. But they overturned the tables where they were strategizing, where they were planning, where they were, if I should dare say, manipulating. <laughs> Amen. And Jesus said, it's not going to happen that way no more. I'm straightening this thing out here today. I've done been here once, right? This ain't the first time he came. He came and set him in order, gave him instruction before, and they did not hear the word of the Lord. And now he comes back again, seeing them do it and even more. And he came with authority and he said, I'm going to, I'm going to clean this up today. This is going to change today. Amen. Jesus is saying, I'm going to overturn the way that you've been doing business. Tables are where money was exchanged. 
They were overturning the tables, their seats, their places of position and authority. Why? Because they were selling the gospel. Amen. I've been raised up in the church. I remember, how many remember the day whenever they had them southern gospel groups and they'd come in and sing at your church? And when they did, they always had an eight-track tape, a cassette tape, an album. They had something to sell you. And you couldn't even set it up in the church. You had to set it up outside. Because they were stealing from people. I don't know if that's what it meant or not. But it was perverting the house of God. If you set it up in the house of God. They were selling doves. That's all they were doing, selling doves. It wasn't about them selling the doves. It was about them price gouging the doves. Amen. They, they, was taken, they was coming from a long ways away. And when they would come from a long journey, a long ways away where they couldn't bring a turtle dove, where they couldn't bring a, a bullock, where they couldn't bring something with them, they would buy it or purchase it at the temple. But instead of their, the dove being $5, they would sell it for $10 and give $5 to the treasury and $5 go in their pocket. Are you with me? They was there for self-gain. They were there selling doves. If I could modernize it, they were selling $1,000 miracles. <laughs> Ain't nobody going to help me today, are you? They were selling miracle water. They were selling miracle oil. They had miracle rags. Huh? They were propagating the gospel. They was doing it for self-gain. And they were saying, you drink this miracle water and you'll be healed of whatever's wrong. Just send a thousand dollars. It hasn't changed. It's come back. Instead of it being ten dollar propaganda and gouging, it's a thousand dollars now. Let me tell you, I believe as much as anybody in seed time and harvest. I believe as much as anybody as sowing and reaping, right? I believe in it because it works in my own life. But I want you to know there is something different about that than there is for people to go uh, uh, promoting and uh, trying to raise money to self-gain and and popular uh, belief that if you give me a thousand dollars, I'll get a new Mercedes. Baloney. But that's what this culture is eating. We are, we've seen a breakup of it because, because we went into a recession. Amen. And I'm not cussing, but the bastards had to go off a of TV. Illegitimate had to go off a of TV. And the real sons are preaching the gospel. The real sons made it through the famine. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When you have a fatherly anointing, there's always meat in the house. Come on, somebody. When there was a fatherly anointing upon you, but whenever they're trying to sell you a miracle, when they're trying to sell you all, all of that mess, it's nothing more than what they were doing in the New Testament. And Jesus said, I'm sick of it. Amen? You see, that preaching today in many churches is, all it is is self-helps. 
You could get the same thing out of reading a book. I'm not against books. I'll buy anybody's life for 20 bucks. Amen. But this is what I want us to hear today. This is what I want us to understand. That in this culture, there is very little strong Bible preaching. It's almost a thing of the past. Because strong Bible preaching is is something that... that, um, We want to avoid at all costs because of the image, the culture has told us to stay away from it because, again, you might offend somebody. I listened to a message the other day. Uh, I listened to a message the other day. Renee and I was going somewhere and uh, I listened to it and I listened to it in its entirety, about 40 minutes, I think it was. And in the message... There was not one, not one reference to the Bible. I'm not talking about somebody that's not known. I'm talking about somebody that thousands of people are following, thousands. But there's no reference to the Bible whatsoever. It's just stories of his life. I got finished listening to that and I told Renee, I said, you, you, you know what that was? I said, she said, what? I said, that's a waste of my time. I wasted 40 minutes of my time. It's all right for you to have life experiences. But listen to me. Your life experiences, my life experiences doesn't mean that it is real. What am I trying to say? Just because I go through sickness does not mean that it's God's will for you to be sick. Huh? Just because you're dealing with poverty or you're dealing with lack does not mean it's God's will for you to be in poverty or to be in lack. That was my experience, but that's not God's will. So I need more than an experience. I need more than just what someone has gone through. I need the word of God. Amen. But we don't want to offend anybody. And so we can't preach the word because... You can't preach this and not offend somebody. This is offensive. Huh? This is offensive. You can't, you can't, talk, about, you can't talk about this word and tell a man that the way that he is walking is sinful and not offend him. You can't tell a person that, that the way that you're going is the wrong direction. And this, it, it don't matter if it's, about, if it's about spiritual. It doesn't matter if it's about uh, your marriage. It doesn't matter if it's about finances. It doesn't matter what it is about. Finances. Huh? Let's do, uh, I'll use that. You know, if you don't tithe, then you're a robber. You're as a thief and a robber. Huh? And then... If, you, if you're not following that order, then the Bible says that no one can bless you. So you can send $1,000 here and $1,000 here and 10000 over there, and you're still not going to be blessed if you're not a tither. Now, did that offend anybody? It's offensive. But that ain't the way I set it up. That's the word of God. Amen? And so it's, it, it, you can come and you can, know, you can come and say, well, pray for me because I need, 
blessing and I need financial blessing and I'm in difficult thing. And, and, and what we should be saying, you know, us uh, modern day preachers, we say, oh, Jesus, please touch him and, and cause money to come out of heaven and give him a blessing and, and all of that. And the, but the word says what we ought to be asking, is, are you a tither? Because if you're not a tither, then nothing's going to bless you. If you are a tither, if you give unto the Lord and you bless the Lord, then he says that something must be hindering, something must be wrong, because he said that I will open up the windows of heaven, right? Told you it was offensive. He said, see, if I don't open up the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings, there's not room enough for you to receive. I mean, know that this, that this revelation, this understanding here today, open up windows. Cars don't come out of windows. Houses don't come through windows. This is a promise of revelation. He's saying, I'm going to open the window of heaven so you can see into your future, into your destiny. But then he says, I'm going to pour out blessings that there's not room enough to receive. How many believe God's a wasteful God? I didn't think you would. He's not a wasteful God. So why is he giving us more than there's room enough to receive? So my son and my daughter can be blessed. So the next generation, those, those kids and the, their kids and the generations to come will be blessed because of faithfulness. Man, that's free. I didn't mean to go there, but I did. We've created a culture where that we don't want to offend anyone. And so therefore we don't want to preach the gospel. And now we have a culture that wants us to preach to them where they are instead of challenging them to become who they are. Amen. Just, just preach to me and make me feel good. Someone asked me the other day, he said, you're going to make them feel good, preacher? I said, no, I, I doubt that. I want us to enjoy the kingdom, huh? We ought to have a smile on our face. That's glorious. That's wonderful. But hey, it's my job. If I don't ever once in a while get you upset when you leave here, I'm not doing my job. I'm not digging close enough to the roots. Come on, somebody. If I'm not getting close enough to challenge you, if I don't say something that makes you say, well, wait a minute, I'm not sure about that and cause you to go to the word and chew on it a little bit, then I'm not digging deep enough. Amen. And so we've created this culture where that we just want to, to, to not be challenged by anything. And as a result, there is no disciples. Amen. Our generation, this, this generation is the most biblically illiterate generation that's ever been in America. Ever. Whenever you used to be able to preach the word because people had a base, they had a foundation. Folks would go to what we called Sunday school. Right? They would go to Bible school. They would go to Wednesday night discipleship training hour. 
And they had a base, they had a foundation, and then you could come and preach, and because they had a foundation, they could grab the word of God, and their life could be challenged and changed. But today, we don't have discipleship, so people can come in, and they can genuinely get saved, but they have no foundation to to lay lay that word on. Huh? To lay the principles on. And so we, we've chose to begin to preach the theologies of men and become and then succumb to this idea that we just make people feel better. You know, they preach about stuff that helps you be more uh, better morally. And that's wonderful. But what about your spirit? Hallelujah. I'm almost done. How long I've been preaching. Oh, yes. I'll give you a little extra today. I won't even charge you. He comes and he overturns the tables, this religious system that has been set up, and begins to feed them this doctrine of the word of God. Amen. The word of God that his father said, my house should be called a house of prayer. We have a jealous Jesus on our hands. And for some reason, he's wanting his church back. He's wanting his church back. He's wanting the word of God. He's wanting disciples. He's wanting people that are disciplined. Why? So that the kingdom of heaven can be established within you. Amen? So that the power of God can be on display in this earth. Amen? Not doctrines of humanistic thinking and denominational thinking and doctrines designed for manipulation and control and intimidation. That's what's being fed in this generation. Limiting people and holding them back. But I want to tell you that Jesus is on his way to the church. And he's about to set the house of God in order again. Where that we're going to be able to be become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing his word. Knowing his presence and his spirit and his anointing. Where that we can begin to do. Not just say but do the will of the father. Amen. I'm tired of talking about signs, wonders, and miracles. I'm tired of, of, of praying, uh, saying, let's believe God for the sick to be healed. I, I, that's a good, all well and good, but it's time to do it. It's time to do it. It's time to heal the sick. It's time to set the captive free. It's time to deliver the oppressed until we come to a place that we're so confident in our faith that we do not just reach out to the one that believes, but the one who does not believe will see the mighty power of God, the signs and the wonders and miracles, and they will come to not only believe, but to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We must be ready. We must be ready for him to come and take his church back. After all, it belongs to him. Said it belongs to him. And he's going to take it back from all of this humanistic thinking and all of this religious systems and all of the things that, that we have strategized and we have made plans 
And it is good to be in order. God is a God of order. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the manipulative plans of how I can make it, how it is going to make me look good, how I'm going to make more. No, no, no. That devil is a liar and it's going to come down. This is all about Jesus. It's all about him. And so therefore I forsake everything else. And I follow him wholeheartedly so that I can be a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. A true disciple means sacrifice. Doesn't mean that we do it because it's convenient. We don't do it because we think it's just a nice thing to do. But we do it because we believe that it is pleasing to the Lord. We're pleasing to the Lord. And so that means that we have to make decide, we have to make decisions that we are not going to do certain things. We're not going to, even though it may not be easy, we're going to press in. Right? We're going to press into the word. We're going to press in if we have to to prayer. We're going to press into the things of God because I'm not just a believer, but I'm a disciple. I'm not got it all together yet, but I'm reading his word. I'm praying. I'm seeking his face. I'm hungry for more of his presence. And as a result, I know that I may not be there yet, but I'm on my way. And his glory is coming. And what I cannot change, he's going to come and change it. He's going to come and shift it. And it's going to work in my favor. Amen. Praise God. Let's stand together today. Hallelujah. Father, I love you today. I've done my very best to share the word with your people. now I ask you Father that you would touch each and every one of us individually and corporately God that a new order would come to our lives a new order would come to your church God that would be what you've always intended it to be that is that you were first you were priority you were number one you were Lord of your church And that we would submit ourselves to be a living sacrifice, a disciple, holy and acceptable before you, which is our reasonable service. So let us deny all else. Let us deny the mindset and the images of the world that have placed in our minds and in our hearts. And let us today say yes to your will, your way, your wants and your desires. In Jesus' name I pray. have no predetermined thoughts for this altar service today only for the word of God to permeate in your hearts and you to respond accordingly today however that means for you is just fine with me but I want you somehow some way to say yes to the word of God over your life today that's right where you're standing if you want to kneel you want to come forward whatever it is But just say, yes, God. I call it a new order, but it's the original order. 
and he wants it for all of our lives. He wants it for our church. He wants it for our region and for our nation and our world. So as they play today, sing a little something, however you feel necessary in your heart, say yes to him today. Withhold